What's up, guys? It's the Blue Bloods, and we are back with another episode. And this continues our ACC in 28 days theme. We're joined by the voice of the Duke Blue Devils, Davis Shoemate, who is who's also the director of broadcasting for Duke University. So I want to say thank you for joining us today. Now, Zach, uh, Brandon, appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, man. So let's go ahead and start the interview right off. Uh, so starting with the 2020 season, where the Blue Devils unfortunately finished uh, two and nine. But they finished the season off with wins over Syracuse and Charlotte. Um, this team had a lot of new talent. Uh, and so do, this, so do you think the season exceeded? Did it meet or did it fall short of expectations? Well, anytime there's no postseason, it's hard to say it met expectations. I think what David Cutcliffe has built at Duke, there's a standard now to, to get to bowl eligibility and to play in the postseason. Um, that being said, I think there are some very good reasons why the season went the way it did, starting with the fact that you know, Duke doesn't shy away from the fact that with the academic standards to get in here and the type of kids that play here, Duke is, I use the term, and Coach uses this term, I stole it from him, a developmental program. So I think it's one of those schools that really, maybe more so than others, was hurt by the pandemic, not by what happened in the fall, but what happened in the previous spring. Talking about, you know, halfway through spring practice was kind of when everything blew up and everyone was sent home. And then you lose the entirety of the summer. And then Duke has had in my mind, the correct approach to the pandemic as a university. Um, but because of that, the athletes, we were one of the last schools to get back on campus. Um, and then you get your workouts and uh, you add into the mix a transfer quarterback that hasn't really been in the system talking about Chase Bryce. And um, there's a myriad of reasons why, why certain things happened. And I'm sure you guys will talk about, obviously, the, the turnovers were a big problem with the 39 turnovers a year ago. And, um, you know, I, we're playing, and I think to, to see the kids have a chance to, to get out and, and be amongst each other and play was the real win, but, but obviously from a win-loss perspective, um, Duke has come to expect more. Yeah, and, and I know that – I know you mentioned the uh, spring practice being cut short and everything, and that kind of – I guess uh, going off of that, I know that Coach K was really quick to um, say that Duke wasn't going to be in the March Madness tournament even before it, uh, even before it got canceled. Is that kind of like indicative of what was going on around Duke athletics as an entire, I guess, in its entirety? So, like, was football kind of shutting down around the same time as that? You know my last spring? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it, it's it's worth noting, I think you're referencing when we were in the ACC tournament or Duke was getting ready to start in the ACC tournament. Um, and the night before, I mean, I was literally sitting in the lobby of the hotel where – we were staying in Greensboro and, and having some dinner and, and you see the NBA news break um, and they're being shut down because of one case. And um, I'll never forget, it turned out not to be COVID, but a lot of people don't remember Fred Hoiberg, the head coach in Nebraska had an incident at the big 10 tournament that night and he just happened to be sick, but it wasn't related to that, but it kind of had a, a panic mode for everybody. And I think the next morning with um Dr. Kevin White, who's our athletic director, who was the chair of the NCAA selection committee, he got on the phone with coach and um, Dr. Vincent Price, who's our president. And, and Dr. Price, with all the feedback he was getting, decided to pull the plug on, on all of Duke athletics, that we were going to pause. Um, so it's a distinction without a difference, I guess. But I don't know if Duke pulled out of anything outside of, like, broadly the university decided it was time to, to – you know, take a pause and see where we're going. And then you kind of saw the dominoes of obviously we weren't going to play that day if we were shutting down athletics. Um, and then shortly that, I guess it was that afternoon that the NCAA tournament decided to shut down. So it was interesting to see the way um, it all played out. It was, it was a crazy day. And um, 
I'm sure everyone has their personal story. I know for me, uh, driving home from the ACC tournament, I went right to the grocery store uh, to try to beat the rush since everyone was hunkering down uh, for the next few weeks. Right. Right. I mean, I, you can't blame anyone. I mean, that was just a crazy time. I remember being on my couch and when I got the news that the NBA was canceled, I was like, stop it. That's got to be a joke. That's, that can't be real. But, you know, in terms of this Duke team, you said there were many reasons why this season might have fell short of expectations. One is that there were a lot of new faces, like you said. But in terms of p- players that really exceeded expectations, who were some breakout players that really impressed you this season? I think you have to look at Mateo Durant, uh, the running back. Coming into the year, Deion Jackson was um, the main running back, and, and he had a good season, not to take anything away from him. But uh, Mateo, really in a secondary role for most of the year in 11 games, picking up over 800 yards rushing and, and averaging nearly seven yards a carry, um, kind of tells you what he's capable of and, and the explosive runs that he could have. And it'll be interesting to see him this year. He's back kind of in a leading role um, on an offense that – you know, we, we touched on the turnovers were a problem. Execution at times was a, a bit of an issue, but was able to put up yardage and returns a lot along the offensive line, returns the entirety really of the receiving core um, and a good backup tight end. I know Noah Gray is off to the NFL, so there's something to replace there. But um, the offense to me has potential, but Mateo Duran is the guy, the running back that I, I think could explode onto the scene next year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he definitely has the uh, potential and the talents definitely there. Uh, but I wanted to shift with the coaching staff a little bit, uh, and it's led by, obviously, David Cutcliffe. You mentioned him earlier. He's been at Duke since 2008 and is one of the most accomplished coaches in the, in the country. Uh, what makes him such a special coach, and what has he meant to this Duke football program? Oh, gosh. I mean, he, he is a transcendent leader um, because, like, obviously you can look at what he's done from the bowl perspective and, and what he did bringing Duke football out of, you know, call it whatever you want to, right? The abyss or, or an area that was not really good. Um, and to, to see the vision, not only to turn things around from a recruiting standpoint, to um, embrace what Duke is from an academic and an athletic standpoint and, and turn that, you know, there might've been a time where people would say that's you get negative recruited because it's so difficult to get into school here. Well, he turned that in to a positive and, and a reason to come to Duke, not a four-year commitment, a 40-year commitment is one of the things he likes to talk about. Um, but also to take a, a program I mean guys we had a track around our football stadium uh, around our football field uh, when he right. first got here and uh, it's tongue-in-cheek but like the, what has happened from a facility standpoint at Duke is incredible um, to, to get an indoor practice facility built to get uh, one of the nicest outdoor practice facilities built to the the incorporation of Blue Devil Tower a brand new press box and suite facility um, outside the football stadium I'm biased, but I've heard it from a lot of different people that come from across the country that we have some of the nicest facilities in the country now. Um, And that was not the case uh, when David Cutcliffe got here. So to me, it's the holistic approach of the way he looks at things um, and the way he's built this program that it's, you know, built now to last long beyond whenever he decides to retire, which hopefully is not for another decade or so. (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, he's been all across the country. He's done big things, but Looking at the coaching staff, I mean, as you can tell kind of by my sweatshirt, as an Auburn fan, one name really stuck out with me, and that's Trooper Taylor. Um, Coaches DBs now, but as an Auburn alum and fan, I mean, he played a huge role in recruiting. He was the main recruiter for Cam Newton when he transferred to Auburn. He's developed, as a player developer, man, some of the wide receivers he developed at Auburn was huge. What has he done for Duke Blue Devil recruiting, and what, what how impressed have you been with his development in the defensive backfield at Duke? Yeah, I mean, the recruiting is hard to single out each individual person because 
you never know what goes into the ultimate decision. And, um, right. but I, I do think it's interesting to see him work with the guys. And uh, as you said, since uh, you know, the Auburn side of things, his powerful personal story with the towel and the backwards hat and, and how that ties in um, to his dad and how he lost him when he was young in life and, and the way he can connect to these guys and, and talk through life and hardships. And, and you mentioned uh, working on the defensive side of the football now, kind of going back to his roots where he was as a player. Um, I know he's coached a lot of offensive football, but going to be coaching the cornerbacks this year. He just has a way to connect with guys. He's empathetic, but by the, the same token, there's a little bit of a firm hand there. I mean, there's an expectation right. when you watch him in practice um, of if you don't do what needed to be done, there's going to be consequences and things that need to happen. And it brings the structure that I think um, is very helpful when you're out there. So it's been fun to watch him work and, and you can see the personality that oozes its way, I would assume, in, into somebody's dinner table when, uh, when recruiting's going on. I don't really live in that space too much, but um, it's not hard to see him being a master recruiter. It's, yeah, it's, it's it's definitely not. I mean, even as a kid, you know, I was in middle school when he was at Auburn with Cam Newton, and I remember I dressed up for him at, at Halloween one year with the towel and the backwards hat. Like, he was one of my favorite coaches growing up, so definitely lucky to have him there. Yeah, and so I, I know you just mentioned that you aren't uh, too much into recruiting, but National Signing Day just wrapped up about a week ago uh, or just over a week ago. Um, Duke inked the top 60 class this year and headlined by some really nice players. Uh, what, what are some of the biggest needs, and who are you most excited to suit up for Duke this upcoming season? Well, I mean, I think, you know, the two young quarterbacks that are brought in are obviously going to garner a lot of attention because of the fact that um, Chase Bryce has transferred to Appalachian State. So a lot of people are wondering who's going to be Duke's starting quarterback um, and how will that come together. And uh, you mentioned the signing class. I think it was 18 on the initial signing day, and they've added some grad transfers since. And a uh, and a few others. And um, to me, like, it, it's always interesting to see when guys get on campus because of it's the nature of our program. They've recruited well, a bunch of three stars in there, but you know, a guy like Jordan Waters, who's in our running back room now uh, started on the defensive side of the football. And to me, that's, what's going to make this spring so interesting is you have so many guys who haven't had a spring practice and haven't had a chance to show what they can do out there. Um, you know, some guys are listed as athletes. Some guys are listed as offense. Some guys are listed as defense, a couple of early, um, enrollees as well to, to see how it shakes out once they actually get onto the field and, and get a chance to get some work in. Because um, but guys that have come in and started their freshman season has been the exception, not the rule here at Duke. Uh, Daniel Jones, I know, started as a redshirt freshman at quarterback. And, and Victor Dumukeji, who's likely going to be drafted here in a couple months, is another one, and Chris Rumpf. But um, some of these guys, I'm, I'm just interested to see them get on the field and, and start to work to, to learn some of the schematics and, and see how they compete as – you know, it's a little bit of a reset for Duke, particularly on the defensive side of the football, which is where some of my eyes going to be because I touched on those two guys, uh, Rump and Demukeji, and there's others along the defensive line, Tangelo, um, even a guy like Drew Jordan who's transferred out. So Duke is going to be retooled along that defensive line, and, and co-defensive coordinator Ben Albert's going to have his hands full. Um, and even in the secondary, where Duke had a lot of injuries, but we'll have some youngsters, particularly at safety. Uh, so that's going to be interesting to see what Duke did defensively because you can make an argument that the last couple of seasons, uh, maybe the Duke defense has had the foot out in front of the Duke offense, even though a lot of people might not think that when they think of David Cutcliffe as the head coach, but that's been the case the last few years. Right. I mean, and looking ahead to next season, you mentioned there's going to be some retooling and everything. I mean, there's some games on that schedule that catch my eye that are going to be interesting. I mean, 
Northwestern coming into Durham is going to be an exciting game, especially with what Pat Fitzgerald's been doing up there. And then also Les Miles bringing his Kansas Jayhawks into town. It's weird that this is going to be a football game when this would be one of the biggest basketball games it, it, in, the, in the country. But which games are you l- most looking forward to, and what do you think will be the biggest test on the schedule for the Blue Devils? Yeah, you have to wait till 2022 for the basketball version, unless it happens in the NCAA tournament because – Kentucky's on deck for the Champions Classic next year, and there'll be Kansas the year after. But no, I t- I'm glad you touched on the non-conference because I think that's so important to Duke and, and to this team in particular. Because a lot of people look at last year and two and nine, it, it's very disappointing uh, the way it shook out. But with the way that the non-conference was supposed to be slated, you would have thought Duke would have picked up some wins in there with a Middle Tennessee State on the schedule, with a Charlotte on the schedule, um, with an SCS opponent on the schedule. Um, yes, Notre Dame was on the schedule. That was never going to be easy, but that was on Halloween initially. And instead, you're opening your season in South Bend uh, with all right. the uncertainty that comes with that. And I, I say that because, you know, the way it stacks up this year for Duke, opening at Charlotte on the road and then three in a row at home with A&T. Um, you talked about Northwestern and then Kansas. You can get your feet underneath you a little bit in non-conference play and get your confidence. Um, you know, Duke kind of started behind at the outset of last season and kind of were constantly trying to dig their way out of a hole where you'd hope this year you can get off to, you know, three and one, four and no start maybe and, and have a really good head about you and, and your confidence where it needs to be as you head into ACC play. And Northwestern is obviously looking back to the previous year, the most challenging game, at least on paper, um, with what they've done defensively and, and being um, in the Big Ten championship game a year ago. But you know, I remember my first two years doing the job, Daniel Jones beat Northwestern both here and at Northwestern. That's when they were competing for Big Ten championships back then. So I think right. um, people shouldn't count out Duke in those matchups, but that's obviously on paper uh, the most difficult challenge. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, you mentioned it earlier. Chase Bryce is gone. Um, a lot of other big players from last year's team are also leaving, uh, either to the draft or, or wherever else. Um, but which player – I know you mentioned Mateo Durant earlier – which player do you think will really, ha- will really shine and have their breakout season this upcoming year? Yeah, and you guys might kill me for this because it, it's not the sexiest pick, but uh, <laughs> Jack Wollabaugh, uh, who had a season-ending injury before the season began, um, he's the center for the team. And a lot okay. of people are like, oh, goodness, tell me about a skill position <laughs> player. But I think for this team, it's going to be about the offensive line, whether that's protecting a young quarterback or um, opening up holes for Mateo Duran. And it's really the strength of this team. When you look at who's coming back, at least on the offensive side of the football, you know, Casey Holman is, has had his struggles at times at tackle a year ago, but now he's going to be in his third year and you get the dividends of that. Um, Graham Barton, who had to play center last year because Duke was down to their third string as a freshman, got some playing time. Um, he'll likely move out and play guard or tackle and, and guys like Jacob Monk and, and not household names, but when you have that continuity and that experience along the offensive line, I think that's going to be the strength of this team. And I think Jack Wollabaugh at the center um, is going to be the star of things offensively. And it's going to bear itself out in, in big statistics, running the ball or, or big plays over the top, but it's going to start with the offensive line. Hey, it, it might not be, you know, the, like you said, most sexy pick, but I mean, you can't win anything without offensive line. You look at the mm-hmm. last two national champions, both Joe Moore award winners, both had the best offensive lines in the country, arguably. So that, that that's a good pick. But, you know, based on the schedule we just talked about, based on these breakout players, what do you think the ceiling and or floor could be for the 2021 Duke football team? Well, I know the expectation is always get to the postseason um, and to compete for the Coastal Division Championship. So I'm going to start sounding like a coach, but I learned a long time ago to not break predictions. Um, You know, 
12 and 0 if you want my prediction because that's what <laughs> keep me in the good graces or I guess it'd be what 15 and 0 when you start to look at the championship yeah. but um, I think this is a team that feels like even in a year and I said they're retooling a little bit particularly on defense that they should be in the postseason every year so I would say at, at minimum they're looking to get back to bowl eligibility haven't been in a couple of years um, and then beyond that when you start to pile up some wins you start to see where things shake out um, with the division and you know the Coastal Division is back in all its glory, and if you want to stack it up, last year you could say Notre Dame was the Coastal Division representation uh, in the ACC championship game because Clemson represented the Atlantic again. So it's been eight different champions in eight different years, and uh, Duke is on deck uh, if you follow the true rotation. So, you know, maybe there's a little fate involved too. <laughs> I like it. I like it. You know, just a follow-up there because, I, I, you know, we're doing this ACC in 28 days, and I, I asked some other people about this, but I want to see your opinion – you know, you said that the ACC's back. It's it's there. Why do you think the national perception is that it's Clemson or bust? Why do you, why do you think these teams, like you said, Duke, North Carolina was really good this year, got to a New Year's Six Bowl, Virginia, Virginia Tech have been there. Why do you think that the ACC gets almost a short end of the stick in terms of national perception? Well, I don't think it's just the ACC. I think it's one of the flaws in the system in terms of how the college football playoff is built that it's really about four teams. And every now and then the SEC gets two, so they're perceived as a juggernaut. Um, the Pac-12 and Big 12 a lot of times are thought of as afterthoughts. Um, and I'm, nothing to take – I mean, obviously Alabama's a powerhouse. Clemson's a powerhouse. Ohio State um, is an incredible football program. But when you start to look a little bit deeper down into the leagues, there's a lot more parity than I think people realize. Um, and I think some of the perception with the SEC, and good on them, and, and maybe the Big Ten as well, is these – gigantic stadiums that you go into and they're packed and, and people perceive success based off of fan interest and, and fan uh, engagement. And that's totally fine. But when you start to look at the product on the field and how teams match up with each other, once you get past the top, I think you, you know, throw them in a ring and see what happens. So I think it's more in how people view the college football playoff. Um, it's one of the things that is great about the sport, but to my eye is one of the things that's frustrating about it because as you get into the season, from a national perspective, people are paying attention to what, six, seven teams? Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, and I know you just mentioned the grand stadiums, all, all that all that sort of stuff. Uh, and we're kind of getting to the final stretch of this interview. I, so I did want to ask you about the game day experience at Duke. Um, so you've been at Duke for several years now. What exactly makes the environment at Wallace Wade so unique? And what makes the Duke game day? Yeah, I mean, well, last year was awfully quiet, unfortunately, yeah. um, <laughs> with no fans out there. I have my cutouts to keep me company. Uh, coach said he liked the cutouts. They don't complain right. that things don't go well. <laughs> um, but, no, it's – I mean, you know, you don't shy away from the fact that we're building a tradition. Um, and there's a walk that the team does uh, when they come into the stadium and, and, and putting roots down that are going to pay dividends for generations to come. And, and we've seen it, you know, for rivalry games or, or big games, like when Virginia Tech comes to town and other teams – um, you see the place packed out and, um, it's a fan base that's growing. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's Auburn or Alabama, but, um, it's, it's a place that's growing and it's a passionate fan base. And, and to my eye, it's a fan base that's built the right way. It's, it's focused on this community, uh, talking about Durham specifically, there's a whole Bull City Proud program that our, our guys have put together and, and getting in involved with, you know, local elementary schools, local middle schools, and, and really getting the community bought in. And it has to do with the program that David Cutcliffe has built and, and building it the right way. So, you know, Wallace Wade can rock just like any stadium in the country. And it's it's cool to see it now because I feel like it's on the verge of exploding over the course of the next couple of years. 
Yeah, I, I like it. I want to make it out there. I know, I think it was back um, in probably around 08 or so, Alabama even made an appearance mm-hmm. um, up there. So that's that's an awesome thing. But, you know, one thing that many people wonder, I know this is going to be a tough question, but for all the basketball schools out there is an important question is, how does a program like Duke football retain attention when the basketball program year in and year out is always in the spotlight? You guys go through it in North Carolina. You can go to Kansas, Kentucky, all these programs – they have to compete with the best of the best in basketball. Can you speak to what maybe some advantages are for the football program dealing with this and some challenges that this football team has to go through competing with the basketball team? Well, one, I would kind of push back. I know you didn't mean it this way, but I I don't think they ever compete with each other. I think it's hand in hand um, and what they're building. Now you're right that what Mike Krzyzewski has built is incredible over his 41 years. And, um, there aren't many programs, football or basketball, uh, over that same span that can speak to the success that he's had with the five national titles um, and on down the list. But, you know, you can either shy away from it or embrace it. And that's what I think David Cutcliffe has done is embrace it. Um, he's had Coach K come over and speak to the team um, at different times. You know, you want to talk about a recruiting trip. Well, how about the Duke Carolina game in Cameron? Uh, good yeah. luck to anybody <laughs> else competing with that um, when you get a chance to go and experience that. So, um, to me, what Duke is always selling, we're recruiting – is yes, the academic side, but but the chance to be there and, and witness history on any given day on a basketball side of things, that is the entirety of what we're selling. It's a collegiate experience. It's not just, you know, you're going to come, live, eat, sleep, and breathe football. It's beyond football, and there's a lot of foundational elements to that, and I think um, the two tie in together, and, um, you know, you try to structure some things, whether it be a Friday night basketball game around a big Saturday um, football game, and I think some of the credit goes to um, Coach K, uh, you'd be surprised uh, how much he and I talk football. Pretty much every time I go to practice in the fall, he wants to know what's going on with the program. So he doesn't live in his bubble either. And it's one of those things where those guys kind of work hand in hand and try to help each other wherever they can. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. That's wow. <laughs> um, I, just, I don't know. Something about Coach K talking football to me. I don't know. That's awesome. Really. Oh, uh, well, um, he knows his bears too. So uh, he, yeah, he's always up yeah. on what's going on with Chicago. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so last question here. Um, so in your time as the voice of the Duke Blue Devils, what has been your most memorable call? Oh, wow. Um, well, I mean, there's, there's so many buzzer beaters and, and stuff like that. I mean, you think about the Zion years and I don't know what was coming out of my mouth half the time when he was dunking. I think everyone <laughs> was just on the floor watching what he could do and how high he could get off the floor. But um at least in my little bit of time here, it's got to be uh, the play by Wendell Moore Jr. last year at Carolina, the basketball game. Um, the tip in, I mean, what Trey did uh, at the end of regulation was maybe the most singularly spectacular play I've seen. Just the fact that it was premeditated. It wasn't an accident that he lined up and, and got the deflection or got the miss on the free throw, I should say, and then was able to send it to overtime. But um, Wendell's play and, and just to see, like, we had no business winning that game. I mean, we were down uh, in regulation, down in overtime, and to see those kids um, and how happy they were. And, you know, we call the games next to our team's bench at a lot of places on the road. Um, And, you know, you you see this moment where Wendell hits the shot, and then I see Coach and Trey in front of me. They've got a huge hug, and and I talked about it in the call, but a lot of people didn't get that picture because everyone was so focused on the dog pile on the other side of the floor where the players were celebrating – and as I'm looking at that, I see Trey and Coach, and then I see Debbie Jones, um, who's Trey's mother, 
Um, and, you know, she had been battling cancer in his time here at Duke. So, you know, you think about calls and yeah, it's fun to go woo and, and all this stuff. But a lot of it is you get to know these people and, and the moments are the people. Um, and you, you hope that you do the best you can to, to share that with people. But that's the kind of stuff that makes it cool and special. So I don't know if that helps or not. Yeah, no. I, I mean, <laughs> Zach and I, I mean, I know we have a college football podcast, but big college basketball guys. And so I was hoping to hear something <laughs> from the basketball team. I'll be honest with you. So that, yeah, that is incredible. That really is. Yeah, it'd be a surreal experience to call games for a team like Duke and all that. But, man, we definitely appreciate you coming on here, taking some time to talk college football, especially in the middle of basketball season. I know that's a big shift going for calling basketball games all the time to having to talk all football. But I want to give you a moment, plug any radio show, social media, anything you want to plug to our listeners. I'll give you a chance to do that. No, all good. I appreciate it. Um, As you said, we're in the heart of basketball season, but we have – um, our own podcast network for for those that are looking for more information on Duke. We've got the Duke Basketball Podcast. You can check us out. Um, but also we have what we call the All-22. Um, that is our podcast covering Duke football. So those that want to learn more about the program, um, hear from Coach Cup. We've got an episode coming up here in a couple of weeks. Um, dive in, learn a little bit about Duke football. As they say, it is always football season. And here in Durham, right. it is always basketball season as well. <laughs> hey, check it, it out, it, guys. It's an everything school, um, yeah. everything school. But uh, definitely appreciate it. But, guys, you know where to find the podcast. We're going to continue our ACC in 28 days later this week. But we appreciate you all tuning in. But for right now, guys, we are out. Yeah.